Uh, as Matt comes to speak this morning, we're going to read from Mark chapter 5. We're jumping a little bit ahead in our readings. We're not actually going to unpack every verse of Mark, otherwise this would be a project that would go on for a few years. And so this morning we'll be looking at Mark 5. I'm tempted to kind of put some context around it. Matt, am I going to step on your toes if I do that? Well, let me just say... (laughs) (laughs) It's helpful. (laughs) It's helpful. It's helpful to understand that this story that we're looking at today fits into a trilogy of stories. Uh, Mark has arranged his gospel in a particularly thoughtful manner. The story immediately before of Jesus calming the storm, demonstrating Jesus' power over nature. Chapter 5 we come to this morning, Jesus healing the demon-possessed man, illustrating Jesus' power over the supernatural. And then if we jump ahead to Mark chapter 5 verse 21, uh, Jesus demonstrating his power over death. And so you can see the progression in the stories and Matt's going to unpack this middle one. But let's read... Chapter 5, verses 1 through to verse 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came to the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Well, morning, church. It's uh, good to be with you again to open God's Word. I'd forgotten that 6-7 Connect were with us this morning uh, as part of, uh, I think, each term they'll, they'll stay in church as further 
part of that transition into being uh, part of the adult you know, uh, community of faith and, and such. Um, so I hope it's all right today. I might have told more jokes or something if, <laughs> if I'd known. Um, hey, I wonder, I wonder this morning, where do you go when life feels out of control? Um, there are lots of things that, that can prompt that kind of feeling, aren't there? You know, when we don't get into the course or we don't get the job that we, that we really want. And so now we're a bit lost as to where to go, lost in direction of our life. We might get fired or made redundant from our job. We find out our, our cancer is untreatable. We can't overcome our, our depression to do the things that need to be done or there's that reality of panic attacks that, that strike at, at any time. Fires or floods threaten or destroy our livelihoods. Our partner leaves us, we miscarry again. Our, our teenagers just don't listen. You know, any, any of That's not from personal experience either, by the way. <laughs> but any of these circumstances or, or so many others by themselves can just leave us feeling like life is just spinning out of control let alone when they are compounded, as they so often are with one blow coming after another. There might be circumstances that are external to us or they might be ones that are you know, internal conflicts. But whatever they are and however they come, life has a habit of slipping out of our, our grasp and leaving us feeling lost and adrift, powerless and out of control. So coming back to my question, where do you go at such times? Some people will respond to that loss of control by then trying to exert as much of it as they can. But by trying, by hoarding, if you like, collecting and hoarding power and trying to exert control over every and anything, no matter how small or how big it might be. Some people go to sex. And they use it as a means of feeling power and control, using it manipulatively. Or, or they, and they do so, you know, in real life with their, their partners, or maybe they do it through fantasy and pornography. Some people go to money, just saving as much as they can to have this safety net that they can always fall back on. Or they go the other way and they, they spend beyond their means as a way of trying to still have some sense of mastery over their world. Some people disappear into their work. Others numb out with alcohol, Netflix, food, social media. The thing is, going to such things, you know, having such responses, they often make the situation worse. So, because not only then do we have the chaos of our life that, that has prompted us to respond in such a way, we then add to it and compound it with the chaos that comes from choosing these kinds of responses. And that's because even though these might be an instinctive response for us, they might make good sense to us in the moment. The reality is that they're not, they're not substantial enough. They're not strong enough. They don't have enough kind of weight and significance and power behind them to, to bear the weight of our lives. And they're not strong enough to, to restore the order and calm to the chaos that we're experiencing. So when we come to Mark chapter 5, as David has read for us, we see a man whose world is out of control and chaotic. We're told that he had an impure spirit 
And later he's described as having been possessed by a legion of demons. Now, I don't want to gloss over this and I'll come back to it soon, but, but the reality is most of us can't experience with this guy's experience as it's written. Uh, I trust that uh, most of us, all of us here, have not experienced you know, possession by, by demons. And so that we might read this and go, this is outside of my experience. And I'm sure that you're very thankful about that. But without downplaying the, the reality of the supernatural here, there are still aspects of his story that we can relate to. There are still points of connection that we have with what's going on here. To start with, he's living in tombs. So he's in a dark and a low place. You don't choose such real estate if life is going well. But living there, not, not only is there all the despair and stark uh, and, and darkness and that, that lowness of spirit that comes there, living there, he's isolated. He is in a world of pain all on his own. Grief, loss, suffering, pain, devastation, it all does this. It leaves you feeling alone because even if people are alongside you, there comes that point in the day when they go home and they return to their own lives. They don't live with the experience like you do. Your life is fundamentally different and it's isolating. It's also isolating. He's also experiencing this aloneness because he's He's excluded. He's left out. Being around the dead bodies of, in the tombs like he is makes him unclean. So he's socially unacceptable. And so no one reaches out to him. And, and, and if he were to be the one reaching out, then he'd be shunned. He's on the outside. People are uncomfortable. That They don't know how to deal with him. And so the isolation that he feels internally is echoed and reinforced externally. The reality is very few people actually know how to engage with you when, world, when your world falls apart. And so like this guy, low, dark, alone, isolated, excluded. And then there are these phrases that, that we read that no one could bind him anymore and that he'd often been chained hand and foot. So this has been going on for a while. This is not a brief episode, but it's an ongoing experience. There's no easy fix, despite the attempts to apply one. The longer it goes on, the less success you have in response to the treatments you're receiving, and so the less hope you have that there'll ever be a solution. And while there's more parallels that we could draw out, let's just look at verse 5. It says, that night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. He is in unrelenting anguish. There's no relief. And in his desperation and in his search for some kind of relief, he, he's cutting himself, self-harming. And in doing so, he's inflicting a physical pain upon himself, both as an expression of the in, inner pain that he's, he's going through but also hopefully as a means to, to release and ease some of it. He can't do anything with the anguish inside, so if he, if he cuts that and, and you know, maybe that will let some of the pain out. And such self-harm, I mean, it carries its own risks, but 
But in that moment, it feels like it seems to be the only way that you can see available to you to, to feel better, even if it's just for the moment. So this is not a story about a man that we can't identify with. Rather, it's about a man who is in deep distress, who is lost, who is alone, who's on the outer, who's in despair and pain, who is seeking but finding no relief. His inner and his outer world is a mess. It's out of control and nothing is able to bring any order, any calm, any peace or any hope to it. It's about a man who is in a place where many of us have been, where many of us might be right now or where many of us will be. And in that place, he then sees Jesus. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Now, I don't want to be trite about this. I don't want to give a Sunday school answer to a doctorate level question. I'll give you a moment to read that. But this man, in the midst of all he's going through, he sees Jesus and he dares to hope. He dares to trust that he might be enough. The disciples have already experienced this. In the verses preceding what we're looking at today, as David mentioned, the disciples are in the boat getting, getting to this location. Um, but a storm came up and the waves were sweeping over the sides of the boat and we read so that it was nearly swamped. Their world is literally out of control. Nothing they are doing is helping and presumably their very lives are now at risk. And Jesus is asleep in, in the back of the boat until the disciples come to him and they wake him in their fear and concern. And then we read that Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet and be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now we don't know what the disciples were hoping that Jesus would do, but what he did do was more than enough. He brought calm to the chaos, order and peace in the storm. And their response was to ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? And that question is answered in our passage for today as the man or the demons in him, through him, name him as Jesus the Son of the Most High God. Back in chapter 3, Mark records that whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Here though, in our passage today, he's not just the Son of God, unique and significant though that is. He's the Son of the Most High God. He is the Most High. There is, there is no one and nothing above him. He's, he's at the top. He's supreme. He's supreme over pagan gods. He's supreme over rival powers. His power and his authority is above all and over all. He is the most high. That's who this is. 
And so when he exerts his authority over these demons, he simply has to speak. There's no elaborate ritual. There's no formulaic words. He simply says, come out of this man. His word is authoritative because of who he is, that he's the son of the most high God. I remember years ago visiting Maren's classroom um, one day when she was teaching. It must have been early in our marriage because I had a day off through the week, so I went and visited for some reason. And uh, Maren had to go to the class next door, and so she left me, I'll say in charge, but... um, (laughs) I wasn't really. So she left me supervising her classroom uh, with the kids to watch over. And it didn't take long for the kids to start getting unruly. And I tried to exert my very minimal authority over them to keep things under control, but to no avail. And it's why even to this day, I don't serve out in kids' church. (laughs) Then Maren stuck her head back in the room. I'm not even sure if she said anything or if she just gave, you know, a teacher look that, that all teachers can do and they do so well. But then instantly the kids were all back into line. They were up straight and quiet and, and whatever. That's kind of like the authority that Jesus has. It's a supreme authority that just has to speak and they obey. Think about this too. We read of the man that no one was strong enough to subdue him and that he'd been able to, with his bare hands, tear apart the chains and irons that had been used to bind him. And here's just Jesus. The reality is the disciples are probably there too, but they're not in the picture. They're maybe cowering behind him. We don't know what they're doing. But even so, Jesus... And this man who no one can subdue, who can break chains and irons, you know, by force of his own strength. Jesus is there and he's not under threat. It's the demons instead who are pleading in God's name, please don't torture us. He is the victorious king of an unshakable kingdom. Even raging storms or a legion of demons need to submit to him. Now, this term legion, it's a military term. It was the the largest troop unit in the Roman army comprising about five and a half thousand soldiers. And that's not to say that the man was possessed by that many demons. I mean, that they fled, for instance, into only 2,000 pigs. But it is to say that he was seriously messed up. There was a lot going on with him. And as a temptation, uh, sorry, as an aside, the temptation in our modern world is to discount this account of the demonic as being just a description of how people from a simpler time with a more primitive medical understanding would describe what was going on when really all he had was you know, this major uh, mental illness. And while I don't want to rule out entirely mental illness, because the reality is mental illness does, does affect us and cause significant, you know, chaos to our lives. We, we lose our filter. We lose our, our drive. We lose our impulse control. Uh, it, it affects you know, our work, our relationships, our, our families. It, it affects all, all aspects of our lives, whatever it is. So I don't want to rule out mental illness. But I think we, in this instance at least, we need to see it as described. 
Because after all, I'm unaware of any treatment for mental illness that causes pigs to go mad instead. There was clearly something more going on in this moment, something beyond the visible and beyond the natural, something supernatural. And so I think we can take on face value that this poor man had a multitude of demonic beings and forces at work in his life. And we might wonder, man, how, how did he get in such a state? And the answer is likely little by little. See, we might think that we're, we're safe from ever being in, in such a state ourselves. But I want to say that we might be more susceptible than you realize. As an example, think about the guy who, who loses his marriage because of pornography. And I'm aware pornography is not only a male thing and, and all that kind of stuff, but, but just stick with it. Think about the guy who loses his marriage because of pornography. Is that what he set out to do? Did he stand before the minister and his bride and, um, and all his gathered family and friends and think, you know what, I'm going to commit to this thing just so I can destroy it? Not at all. So how did he get there? It started small. He first started enjoying the way the camera lingered on certain parts of certain actresses in the movies that he watched, which then prompted him to go looking for other pictures of them and maybe in less clothes, more revealing outfits. And it progresses. He's then looking for topless images. Soon he's looking for images of naked women in general and then video and then of various sexual activity. And, and so what had started quite innocently as occasional mainstream movie watching becomes this overpowering compulsion to look at porn on a daily basis. So did he set out to wreck his marriage? No. But bit by bit, little things into big things grow. And it was probably not too dissimilar for this guy. His world started to fall apart. And so he looked for something that would give him some degree of control over the situation. He knew the limits of his own resources, so he looked outside of himself and bit by bit, as he sought control, as he sought you know, to, to manage it, he actually lost control more and more and it just got worse and worse, and he finds himself now in this state. And so when he saw Jesus, he ran to him. And the demons, knowing that they had to submit, recognizing him as the son of the Most High God with, with authority above all, knowing they had to submit, they just tried to negotiate terms. Instead of being sent to torment, they begged Jesus again and again, can we just stay in the area and go into those pigs instead? And we see Jesus' authority here again as we read simply that he gave them permission. When Mary and I were first married, we went to a church plant where there was a woman who had a ministry of praying for freedom from demonic uh, possession and, and oppression. And there were some times when I and a small bunch of other guys would come to and pray with this particular guy. And there were times when he was in the grip of the demonic. He, his voice changed, his eyes changed. He, he was aggressive. I mean, he, he was a big guy already, but he was normally quite meek and gentle and socially awkward and all that kind of stuff. But, but under 
you know, in, in these experiences, he was even stronger than normal. There could be a stack of guys piled on top of him and he could throw them all off until in the name of Jesus, stop. And he would drop just like that. Jesus has and he exercises his supreme authority in this man's life and suddenly order and calm is brought to the chaos. And so where eyes and chains could not contain this man, a word from Jesus and the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons was now sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Just as he had for the disciples with the storm, Jesus has brought calm to the chaos. When his life was out of control, when nothing else he or others tried could help, he went to Jesus and he submitted to his authority and he found the freedom and the peace that he was looking for. Now, I want to acknowledge that that in both of these stories, of the storm on the waters and the storm in the man's life. Both these stories result in an instant change when they come to Jesus. And in our experience, while that can happen, most often it doesn't. Most often we, we feel like we just have to keep on struggling and muddling through. And I think it's important that we name that, to, to recognize that Jesus is not just a magic pill, that, that suddenly and instantly makes everything in our lives rosy and easy and good, despite how these stories might present it. But that's then where it's important to remember that these stories are illustrating in a snapshot the reality of Jesus' authority overall and of what happens to us when we come to him for help. They're descriptive of what did happen and what can happen. They're not a prescription of what will happen and what must happen. But even so, that's not to discount the point that they are making of Jesus' authority and what happens when we come to him. So in kids' church, they're learning Hebrews 6 verse 19 as their memory verse. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In the midst of the storm, when everything is out of control, Jesus is still our anchor. He is our firm place on which we stand and he is immovable. He will see us through the other side, not abandoning us in the midst of us, midst of it, not leaving us on our own to crash into the rocks, but he will be with us, helping and supporting us all along the way. While there is no doubt that there is difficulty in our lives, in our inner worlds and in our outer worlds, that can prompt us to to question, where is God in the midst of this? And what are you doing, God? Those are the questions that might naturally arise, but I think we can also ask other questions too. For instance, how would I get through this if it wasn't for God in my life? And what kind of person would I become if I weren't trusting in Jesus and submitting to him, even in this So what is it that sustains us? What is it that gives us hope? What is it that brings us peace even in the midst of the storm? It's Jesus. He is our good shepherd leading us through the valley of the shadow of death, 
the good shepherd who seeks us out when we are lost to carry us home upon his shoulders. Because don't miss this. The people plead with Jesus to leave their region. And so Jesus gets back in the boat and he goes. In other words, Jesus' sole and whole purpose of having crossed the lake and coming to this area was to set this man free from his oppression and to restore him to life. He was the one sheep who needed rescue. And it was in the midst of his storm that he ran to Jesus and there in him he found freedom and peace and life. And so Jesus denies the man's request to travel with him and instead he sends him home to your own people to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Notice this here. Jesus tells him to tell how much the Lord has done for you and he's talking of God there. But we read in verse 20 that the man goes and tells how much Jesus had done for him. So just as the demons had done so in fear, so this man now does in worship and adoration. He recognizes Jesus as God, as the Son of the Most High God with supreme authority over and above all things. So today, you might feel like your life is out of control. You don't know where you are or where you're going. You don't know the way out or how you will get through it. And maybe it's not your whole life. Maybe it's just a, a part of it. But, but even so, you've been trying everything and you're not getting anywhere. I wonder if, like this man, if you need to run to Jesus. Where do you need to trust in and submit to Jesus this morning? Where do you need to recognize him as the highest authority over all things, which means even over this thing? Where do you need to stop holding on tight, trying to control things yourself and keep things you know, manageable and instead just open your hands in surrender and surrender yourself into his care? Where is it that you need Jesus to bring peace and calm and order in the chaos and the mess of your life. See, the alternative is to keep Jesus away. You know, like those who tended the pigs and from the surrounding countryside. And Jesus respected that. And so they missed out on him and of life in his good kingdom. So instead of rejecting him or keeping him at a distance, I invite you today to trust and to surrender to Jesus. And in doing so, you will have a living story to tell others of how much the Lord has done for you. So often we find it hard to share the gospel because it can seem so far removed from our lives and there's no point of connection between it and the person we want to share with. And so we might manage to share something of the death and resurrection of Jesus who died for our sins that we might have life in his name and we just get blank stares. We get abrupt topic changes. We get, oh, is that my phone? I've got to go. Sorry. But if we had to talk about what Jesus is doing in our life today, now, 
then it becomes real and engaging. To say, I've been really concerned about my kids recently. You know, nothing I do, they, they don't seem to be listening, they're, they're not responding, and it's just making me so uptight. But then I realized that I hadn't been praying for them. Now I am, and, and things are still hard, but, but I actually have much more calm in the situation, and, and it's really helping. It's a much more inviting story. It's real, it's now, it's you in this moment talking about how much the Lord has done and is doing in your life. To say, I've been really stressing about money, especially since my days at work got cut. But you know what? God has been providing in ways that I could have never imagined. To say something like that is a witness to not just what God has done in your life in the past in in saving you, but of what he is doing now for you. It's a living story to share with others that comes from your experience of trusting in Jesus, of submitting to his authority, and of finding the peace and the freedom and the calm that he brings to you as you do so. So church, we're, we're going we're gonna to pray as we finish up uh, from God's word this morning. And, and you know, after I pray and as during our final song, there will be people at the front uh, here and up at the back, who who are willing and wanting to pray with you. I'll I'll stand down there uh, too. And so whatever it is in your life that that you're facing and you realize that today I want to come to Jesus, I need to come to Jesus, man, any of us would love to pray with you around that. Maybe you just want to turn to the person next to you and have them do it. Either way, that's that's all fine. But you can do that during the final song or or after the service. Let's pray together and for each other that we'd experience what Jesus brings as we submit to his authority and that we'd then have this story to tell to others. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It's your word spoken to your people, empowered by your spirit, to make us more like your son. And so we've heard this word this morning, God, and we've seen ourselves in it. We've seen people we know and love in it. We've seen our situations and circumstances. We've seen our our thoughts and our emotions and our realities in it. And so this morning, (laughs) we just want to run to Jesus. God, we'd love to run to him and have that instantaneous change. And you can do that and you might do that. And so, God, we would ask for that in our circumstances. But, God, we also are aware that what was illustrated here in a moment can be a much longer, slower journey for us. But, God, may we face it with Jesus, trusting in him, submitted to him, And as we do so, even as the storm might continue to rage, may we find peace, may we find calm, may we find freedom. When our own efforts just bind us up even further, may our trust in you and our submission to your good authority just, God, give us release and relief. I pray this knowing that there are people in our midst struggling 
And I don't want a prayer of coming to Jesus to, to be trite or, or to be, um, you know, the, the right, good Christian answer to give. So I pray, God, that in coming to Jesus, that this might truly be a reality, that you would change things, that as we submit to you and your authority, your good authority that that is over even this circumstance that we're in, that you would work change in us, God, that you would give us hope, that you would prove yourself you know, that anchor for our soul that is firm and secure, that will not allow us to crash against the rocks, that will not allow us to float away adrift and lost, but will keep us secure, safe in your presence, carried home on your shoulders even, God, as you seek us out. May this be our reality, God. And in being so, may we then have this living story to tell of how much you have done for us. May we have a story to tell others that is inviting, that is real, that is engaged and and relatable, that others too might come to run to you and to know the life that you bring. We pray this, God. And in this moment and at this time, we would just submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.